Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. Yeah, I, I am it. a betrayed partner from a long-term relationship who is no longer with my ex, who is a sex addict in denial and undiagnosed. How can I do the work on my end to and be able to trust again? I suspect on occasion that my ex was a sex addict, but there were so many things that did make him seem trustworthy. I have always been a bad, bad at picking mates. None of have ever had addiction issues before though. At this point, I simply don't trust myself to be able to pick someone who is not, who will not emotionally hurt me. So is there a question? I, I, I think I know what the question might be, but why don't you throw a few at me from that story? How do I work I on my one. end to be able to trust again? That was the question that's in like the fourth line. Ah, uh, okay. Well, these are sort of the similar question, which is, so I, I have a couple of responses to this. Um, and this is like the third time I've talked about this today. I have a, a, an idea in pro-dependence um, called twos don't marry sevens. And what that means is um, back in the day uh, when Blake Edwards was doing a movie called 10, I might remember I that. remember that. We were in, in a sexist way. We were calling, uh, numbering women. You know, this yeah. one was a 10, this one was an eight, depending on her looks. And I think about that in terms of psychology, which is, you know, there are some of us who are very stable and really, you know, healthy backgrounds and really have it together. And we're kind of like eights. And then there are the twos and the threes, more like us, Tammy, who people who struggle and, and have addictions and relationship issues, we're trying our best, but we have, Lord knows we have stuff. And I will say, you know, that the people who are eights, who really have it together, they look at us folks and they say, oh my God, they're way too much drama. I wouldn't go out with that person. Mm -hmm. So the really, really healthy people are not going to want to go out with us. And we look at those really healthy, healthy people. And some of you know this and we say, oh, they're boring. Where's the excitement? Where's the drama? Where's the, so on some level, I think that we are always going to pick someone who's similar in our psychological and emotional abilities. So the idea that I'm going to pick someone who has it all together is probably not going to happen. My best suggestion always is date them long enough to know that they can self-reflect. They have been through therapy. They've been through 12 step. Here is my number one. If you want to be my friend or you want to be involved with me, you can hurt me. You can let me down. But can you come back and own your part? Can you say, I know we had a fight today and, you know, but I want to know this is the part I did or because otherwise I can't be in a relationship, which what, what I'm saying is you may be a four and you're going to involve, get involved with a five or three, but make sure that they can be accountable and they're interested in growing so that when you work on problems, you can each have a part. If you both want to grow, you can both go to therapy, both go to 12 step. So I need today someone who is honest about who they are and the challenges they have. And believe me, if you went out with me, I would tell you, hopefully not on the first date, but I would absolutely tell you, I, I think you're right to not trust yourself around your choices. And so like any of us, getting feedback is extremely important. I would not date someone with my history, unless I dated them with friends, unless I dated them with my family, unless I had a lot of feedback on other people saying what they thought of them. Um, if I have a real history of problematic dating, I might go to SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, or one of those places where they concretely work on helping you build a community that you can turn to. So in other words, if I were involved in that program, I would say, hey, Mary, will you take my calls after I go on a date? 
And after the date, I say to Mary, okay, the date was like this, 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 and they were this, this, and that. And then Mary gets to say, well, I know your history and you don't get to see that person again. So in other words, my emotional feelings about this is great. I want to go forward. I mean, no, they're a heroin addict. I know they're still married, but they're so nice to me. You know, that's kind of how we work. And we don't see that we're blind to the problems, but other people aren't. Other people who know our history and aren't involved with this person will give us far more information. The question is, will we listen? And that is the hardest part. Oh, I love them. They're so great. They're so wonderful. Well, I don't see them clearly. I make bad choices. So being accountable, having other people have a view or insight into what you're doing, the person you date and you say, I don't want them to meet my friends, or I don't think they get along with my family, that's already a problem. So um, yeah, you're going to meet someone who's imperfect, and so are you. But together, working on it, I think you're going to grow faster together than you will as individuals. So um, yeah. I I'm, appreciate you talking about having more people involved in helping pick. And um, I, you I, talked before, we are meant to be pair bonded. Dr. Stantek and talks about, you know, when we're together, we, you know, we do better. So we, you know, so we do, but I think um, trust yourself to build a friend network. Cause if you, you know, that can be a primary problem. If you don't have friends that can, you know, like if it's all the attention is on the relationship and then you get out of the relationship and you have no friends and you look for another relationship, that's a problem. You want to have that circle of friends who actually knows you and, and that you can build trust with them and you won't pick all your friends perfectly either. Everybody gets burned every now and then, but, but working on those, building those relationships helps teach us to, how to do it in a primary relationship too. But so don't give up is my thing. point. Go ahead. Make a list of things that are important to you. You know, I want yes. someone who laughs at my jokes. I want someone who answers the phone when I call them. I want someone who's sober, has an apartment, has a job. You know, what are the things that are important to you? And then maybe what are the things you don't want? You know, well, this person smokes or this person is still, whatever it is, you get to say, you know, these are the make and breaks and these aren't. And by the way, that's another thing about having an accountability group in your life. I know for me, a lot of people said, you can't date them. You can't date them. But then I found myself with someone I was probably going to just toss away. And they said, no, you should date that person. And we've been together 22 years. So they made a good decision. But I could not have, I wanted to run from the right person and move toward the wrong people. And that's just who I am. So I completely relate to it. I just had to get a lot of support in making those decisions. I did that with a list and I had, it was short. It was the non-negotiables. They will be they won't be and smoking non-smoker was a an issue but i didn't settle on one of those those were my non-negotiables so i didn't go well you know and i've been married even longer than you have been to a person who is the good balance wonderful i know so, your husband he is. he's a great yes. guy and he is a balance oh. for you he's so calm and relaxed and my sister no. says the th same thing she goes he's such a he's such a good helper for you to maintain Me my mental health so yeah so okay so the next one so now we're on to 64 i texted it to you hi thank you for your services i'm adhd addict and my partner always tells me that my empathy is broken and i believe her i'm trying to do everything she asks but i still fail and somehow i feel tired all the time and i guess it shows as lack of desire to change i don't know what to do anymore um, and I'm completely desperate because I really want to change. I'm also going to meetings. And I'm looking for a sponsor. How can I build my empathy and give her the, um, the love that I know that I feel, but I'm unable to apparently show? There's exercises for me to do and change myself. Well, the first question I have, Tammy, is, is just caught me. Uh, we can certainly answer the bigger questions, but I'm tired all the time. 
and it shows as a lack of desire to change. And I'm just wondering what the person means, because when I hear that, I think about depression. I think about, you know, I remember when I was just, I was tired all the time. I didn't have the energy to really work through things. I just kind of wanted to walk away, you know, so I would be curious to what degree there are um, underlying issues related to being tired all the time. I don't know what that means. I know I'm more tired than I was 10 years ago, but that's a whole different thing. That's, yeah. We, um, I am acutely aware of this issue um, because I've worked with so many men who, and I assume that you're a man, you may not be, who struggle so much with how to make peace with a woman they've harmed. Um, it's not that I want to write about homosexuals or other folks. It's just that men do not understand what a woman goes through when she's been cheated on. They, we just don't get it. We think flowers and candy and I'm sorry. And so I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse, a, uh, uh, well, sorry, Out of the Doghouse, uh, a, basically a cheating man's guide to healing a broken relationship. So how does a man who's cheating find a way to understand, gain empathy, compassion, and have insight into what is going on with that woman they're involved with? We also teach a work group on out of the doghouse because it's one thing to read it but it's another thing to do a workbook and talk to other people and by the way this is the first course that everyone wants to sign up for because they're not necessarily interested in dealing with their addiction but they're very interested in making up uh having their spouse forgive them but this is not a book about forgiveness because i don't think that it, forgiveness is something we should seek i think being a better person is something that we should seek and forgiveness may or may not come along with that but what I am interested in is, is how a man can treat a woman with dignity and respect for understanding the pain that she has gone through and giving her the space and the um, support to be able to rebuild a relationship. And yeah, we're not empathy. Listen, if I can go out and do things that hurt my partner and know I'm doing it, empathy is not my strong point. Um, however, and I think empathy is kind of split in some ways for those of ceratics. But you can learn how. And you can learn and you'll know from her. And that's exactly what I'm teaching. And by the way, Tammy, did you know that the book on men who cheat on women and need to fix it is my most popular book? Because apparently a lot of men out there who are struggling or a lot of women who are so pissed that they bought the book and they threw it at their partners and say, do this. So anyway, thanks, Tammy. That's a, Do you have anything else you want to add? Well, I, I do. Um, uh, I put in the chat. Uh, so Dr. Todd Love did a um, webinar, but it also did a podcast with Dr. Rob on ADHD. And ADHD is a real thing. And men who struggle with ADHD, their life expectancy is shortened by 13 years. What I read when I read that I'm exhausted all the time was the, the not being able to settle and complete things that can leave us exhausted. So I kind of wondered about mm. from that standpoint. Um, so, so I would seek help from someone who understands addiction and also ADHD. For the guys that come to our treatment program, you know, if, if there's a suspicion of something like that, there's a mental health professional that gets consulted with that can, you know, can diagnose that and help get treatment for those things. Um, but yeah, and, and on some levels, you know, I mean, I, and I've shared this before, I've got lists all over the place. I cleaned up a bunch of them today, um, but it's one of those things where I had to find tools to be able to help me be successful. Highly recommend the Out of the Doghouse for men who've been caught cheating. And there are some guys that go to that, that, that literally... I and mean, it's like splitting hairs. It's still betrayal, but that are that have cheated versus have compulsive cheating over right. decades and thirty. So both both people are a fit. So anyway, yeah. Thanks, Tammy. I, I wrote it not just for men who are sex addicts, but because mm -hmm. no man I've ever met understands what a woman goes through and is cheating, and that's universal. Mm -hmm. So thank you for mm -hmm. that, Tammy. 
Okay, next question. I'm a betrayed partner in a female same-sex couple. We're bisexual and we've been together for 25 years. We were swingers for much of our relationship and then she started to see men mainly only alone for the last seven years. Even with this lifestyle, she has had 50 plus infidelities and I recently found out she's having unprotected sex for money. Is this normal for addict to think their acting out was due to their physical needs for not being met in a relationship? Three months um, of recovery essay meetings and therapy. You want to start? I'm, I'm still reviewing this. Okay, so, so you know, mm-hmm. on some level, a betrayed partner is a betrayed partner, whether you're in a mm-hmm. same-sex relationship or not. You know, I hear this all the time from, you know, particularly from male addicts who want to be in a swinging or, you know, multi, they want to have an open relationship, but they, even with, with the boundaries different, they still don't live within them. So, on some yeah. level, what I hear is an addict going, you know, no matter what the boundaries are, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't want to live within those. Um, and, and I'm sorry that, that she has put her health and yours at risk with, you know, unprotected sex, get an STD test, please. Um, but, you know, every addict's going to go, yes, my addiction is due to my physical needs not being met. No, that it's, it's the whole and the soul. It's got something to do with, you know, what's untreated, you know, the wounds here, not, you know, it's not about the sex. Sex addiction isn't about sex. Dr. Rob. I am so, so sorry that you have been with someone for so long who, who you trusted and believed in and you went on adventures together and now they're out doing it by themselves. And I agree with Tammy said, which is sometimes we fit our lifestyle around our problem and then we're swinging and we're doing this and we're doing that. But, but that's not a problem because we fit our lifestyle around it. It becomes integrated like swinging. The problem is, is that maybe for one of us, it's more of an addictive behavior. And so when you move away from the swinging it, or even during the swinging, there's all this other stuff going on that you don't know about. So I think there are certain part- partners who will agree to things that they're okay with. There are a lot of partners who agree to things they don't feel good about. But what's shocking for them is I went along with all this stuff. I did what I thought was right. And I didn't find out about all the rest of this. Um, so, and I've run women's programs and I've created, I think I created honestly the first women's program in the country for compulsive sexual behavior. And uh, that was before that other place started one, Tammy. And, uh, I know. and, you know, what I see here, and I can't diagnose anyone from a distance, but I see a deeply troubled woman and it's either trauma related or sexual abuse related or personality related. But this is really one of those um the, the tip of the iceberg is what you see. I have a feeling that this is, you know, she's moved from swinging and then she's seeing men, but she's with you as a woman. And then she's putting you at risk. And then she's been 50 people and now she's selling. I mean, this is not just a sex addict. This is a troubled person that has a lot of stuff going on underneath. And, um, and I say that because it's not, you know, it, 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 first of all, uh, how do I say, there's just such a, so many, problems in so many different areas. And I know sex addicts act out all over the place, but there's something that feels to me not right about this, really not right about this. So is it normal for addicts to think their acting out was due to their physical needs not being met in relationship? Yes, sure. But that's not true. Um, Because if my physical needs were not met in my relationship, I could have another relationship. I could leave you. I could you know, ask you to swing with me. I mean, how many needs are you really going to meet? 
And again, I think this is the person saying, oh, it's my needs that are the problem. It's the fact that I want to swing that's the problem. And boy, do we addicts love blaming you for our problem. Well, if you were just a little more and a little of this. So I agree with Tammy. I don't think the sexual orientation has anything to do with it. It's betrayal is betrayal. And I think you've been very, very caring and open to trying to have a lifestyle that worked for both of you. I think you're finding out that there's much more than that. And this betrayal is very profound. My question is, you know, how long, you know, is this woman in your bed? You know, are you still having sex? What kind of, I don't see anything about therapy. Uh, what are you doing to get the support you need, which is really concerns me. I'm glad she's going to meetings. I'm glad she's got some help, but you're, if I were you, I'd be in a complete crisis over all of this. Now I'm hearing about not just women, but men. Now I'm hearing about prostitution. Now, I, I really hope, and Tammy probably can drop you a note or two in there about support for you. Um, and I don't care whether you're a group of, with your a group of heterosexual women or homosexual, it doesn't matter. These are women who understand betrayal and they want to bond with you and support you as they have been supported. So I can't encourage you enough to find support groups online. Um, and there may be some uh, there may be some mm, uh, SNN type groups for part you know for partners and maybe in other words there are twelve step support groups and all that stuff for partners as well. So um, I don't know why, but for some reason I get this feeling that this person is blaming themselves a little bit and mm -hmm. or blames being put on them. And I got to tell you, this is not about you. Um, and it's such a long time together. By the way, do you heterosexual people? Look, you know, you come and say all the time, I've been in a 25-year relationship. I've been in a 20-year relationship. I just found out. I didn't know. Well, here it is right here. It doesn't really matter orientation. She's a very broken person. Well, and I, I, I actually was thinking how often we hear from heterosexual couples um, where the where he's acted out with men and they're you know, wondering about all of, you know, the partners are left wondering about all of that as well. So, so yeah, very, very challenging situation, but there is support for each and both of you. My email, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com if you'd like some more resources. Okay, so now we're going to go to number 65 and we did the first part of it. We're going to do the second part. I heard your uh, 101 podcast yesterday. Thank you. I have been in a destructive off and on thing with someone for 10 years. I have not. Hold on, Tammy. I am lost. I'm so sorry. I have. It's number 65. I have 614 PM during a weekly no, check. Look at, my are you looking at image 6665? <laughs> so oh. That's the number. Yeah, I'm giving you the six five as the last two digits of the image that I sent. I don't have numbers like that. All I have is time. Yes, you so do. Give me a time. I'm sending this to you again. And then okay. Sorry, but the folks. my time is different than your time. That's the challenge. So it's at the sit. Oh, it's at, thank you. Okay. Yes. So it's anonymous oh, okay. attendee. Okay, now you right. got it. I didn't understand okay. the beginning was related to the other, but okay, got yes. it now. Okay, I heard your 101 podcast yesterday. Thank you. I've been in a destructive off and on thing with someone for 10 years. I have not slept with him all these years because I'm constantly betrayed and then pulled back in, but it is very sexual overall. And I believe I am definitely a love addict and perhaps a sex addict because I objectify him. And I think lust underlies um, underlays the whole dynamic. I have not been able to block him. I'm in SLAA and Al-Anon and have been thinking I am addicted to him. Can you please explain the concept that we are not addicted to a person, but rather we are addicted to the process. I have believed I am addicted to him 
So I am addicted. So, so am I addicted to behaviors in the process, but not him? The concept is helpful, but trying to understand. I hear this actually often. So um, if you can clarify love addiction, because I go back to that whole um, piece of it, but also, you know, people being addicted to another person. Uh, well, first of all, I don't think anyone would be addicted to a person. Um, uh, even as a sex addict, I'm not addicted to their body parts, right? I'm addicted to the whole process of looking, searching, hunting, fantasy, ritual, and the acting out. Um, so, um, first of all, I um, you said a couple other things. Am I addicted to the behavior? I, I don't know that anyone's addicted to the behavior around these issues. I think that people are addicted to the feelings that they get in these situations. And, you know, if you grow up with enough betrayal combined with love, you're going to learn that love is betrayal and betrayal is love. So, um, and that goes to the last question, by the way. I don't think, so I have a rule in my relationships and my family today, which is no drama. And I don't know why, I don't work with you. I don't know why this is the case for you. I don't know why you have this compulsion to go back and back again to someone who's hurt you. But I think it has something to do with what you learned to tolerate growing up and how you grew up. So um, uh, the idea, I guess I'm gonna go back a little bit. There are people that I might date that other people never would. And that's because I grew up in certain circumstances and when I meet that person, everybody else says, oh, I'd never go out with that person. But I don't even see the, the warning signs because I grew up in a situation like that. And then I'm in a love relationship where there are all these problems that I wasn't able to see because uh, they, I was blind to them. And you may be in one of those situations where you got deeply involved with someone and you didn't see them clearly because of how you grew up or what your history is or because you're so desperate to be loved that it's more important you to be in that connection of being loved or have that feeling of being loved rather than actually being with this person. So let me just talk about love addiction real quick because Tammy brought that up. I think love addiction is graduate school for sex addicts. Love addiction is graduate school for sex addicts. Sex addicts are, are interested in body parts. If you get aroused, if you desire me, if you look over your shoulder and if you want me, if you, I'm paying you and you say how amazing I am. You know, I'm addicted to the sexual piece, what you look like, and our interaction within that and what how it feeds me. Love addicts are more interested in having the experience of love rather than sexual intensity. They want to desperately want to feel love. They want this emptiness inside them to be filled up by someone who adores them. Who doesn't? The problem is, is that what I said is a problem of discernment, which means the person who's looking for love can become so desperate in their search for love that the first person who comes along or the first experience that feels like it's a fit, they jump right in because they see that person as an object, not a sexual object, but as a love object. So in other words, I'm not really looking at who you are. I'm not really looking at what you enjoy. I'm not really looking at the fit. I just love how I feel when I'm with you. And then I join you because I love how I feel when I'm with you. And then I realize, well, you're not the person I thought you were at all. And that has to do with when we are looking for that intensity and that bonding that comes with love and romance, that's more important to us than actually looking at who the person is. And then when that goes away, because that eventually goes away, we look at this person and we say, why am I with them? Why did I pick them? What, how was I making that decision? And it has more to do with the emptiness inside of me and the desire to fill it up with love and a person than it actually does with my liking that person or my feeling or knowing who that person is. 
Um, the other part, um, Tammy, though, I'd love you to talk about um, I'm betrayed, pull back in. Oh, the inability to cut someone off. I can't block them, which I think you can. But can you talk about? No, a I think bit it's about... emotionally. I can't let go. I, to me, that's all about. I, you know, I I can't bring myself to doing it, even though I'm, you know, in this swirl. Ten years. So. Yeah, I just um, so I'm deeply sad because for you, because you've taken 10 years that could have been creating a home and a loving situation, a foundation of life with someone, and you've been chasing the unavailable. You know, um, we talk about intermittent reinforcement as therapists, and let me tell you what that means very quickly. If I was playing the slots in Vegas and it paid off every single time, I would be bored and I wouldn't play. If the slot machine never paid off, I'd be frustrated on losing all my money and I would never play. But if that slot machine pays off intermittently, I will chase it forever. And believe me, they have all the algorithms in Vegas to see exactly how much you need to win in order to keep you playing. It can be like that in our love relationships where we just get enough of something that feels wonderful and we'll chase that forever, even though it isn't consistent. We, like a drug addict, we chase the idea of what we're having when the reality of what we're in is not meeting our needs at all. Um, and you need help from other people, by the way. You're not going to figure this out on your own. SLAA for sure. Tammy, other thoughts about this? I know we have a well, lot of questions. And I, I hope that, you know, leaning into the SLAA, but also, I'm you know, get it. You know, we talked a little bit before about, you know, if I'm looking for a relationship, what would be the criteria? And I would invite you to write that list, you know, and and be really focused of if I visualize myself in two years, not right now, in two years in a relationship that is really good and healthy, you know, and a partnership for me, what would that person you know, what would it be like, you know, and it isn't about what they look like physically. It really who, isn't, you know, who would they be? Yeah, yes. That's a, yes. Who would they be their real self? And, um, and then I would line up that list with what you're dealing with when you're saying, you know, you can't trust him. I was like, man, you know, I mean, right. I know that Rob and I both can trust our spouses we do, you know, we absolutely do to the core. They'll go to the mat with us, you know, and to have that is incredibly important because you've got somebody that, well, we don't have sex. I'm really, you know, I'm highly attracted, but it's always that elevated, you know, it's kind of like you're, um, you know, you're getting, I just love the dopamine. I like being so excited about this, but I, it's not safe, you know, and um, that's a real roller coaster, uh, but it's not also real and a real relationship, you know, is somebody that, you know, you can be bored walking around the block with and still like it, you know? So it, I mean, it's like, it's different, but it's not that high dopamine, high chaos all the time, you know, um, which I think can be something of Addictive. its own. Yeah. Really the excitement, chasing. the intensity, the, can I keep them? Will they, can I make them love me again? That is all can I prove myself to make sure what's wrong with me that they don't, it's also very much about us, what I need, what I want, who am I, am I right? As opposed to, is this the right situation for me? By the way, I will, uh, one of my uh, original educators, a man by the name of Michael Alvarez said that a really good relationship should be just one notch above boring. Most evenings, I don't know about Tammy's house, it's a little routine. There's dinner, there's this, there's dogs, there's TV, whatever it is. Once in a while, something really great happens. That's amazing. Once in a while, something really sad happens. That's 
very sad, but mostly I wanted to just be kind of like this. And I see relationships like this. I think that's not a good one because drama is something I want to see on the stage, but it's not something I want to live. Ooh, Tammy, I like that. Drama. I know. I to write that one down. I know. I am. I'm writing it down right now. Okay. All right. So we have bunches of questions. So we're going to go to now. Okay. Um, it's number 66 on the image uh, that I, I just sent you. Do you see it? Oh, we're still in. Uh, we're still in text. Okay. I thought. We yes. Moved on I got it. two more. So that's why we got when we okay. got a bunch stacking up. So thank you for all you do. Just wondering if there is a rough draft of boundaries that is available somewhere. Know you need them, as we've heard you say it multiple times, but just feeling lost on precise ones to give to the essay. Thanks in advance. So so can but I start with we, this one? Well, I was just going to say we treat we teach this, don't we, in the Betrayed Partners? Uh, yes. I was going to say we Go have ahead. a Betrayed Partners work group that talks about boundaries. Um, but it's also like what I hear is I want I give this to the, the addict, and it's really it's talking to the addict or friends or whomever about these are my boundaries for my health. It isn't about you and you have to do these things. It's like, for me, these are my needs, physical, emotional, financial, spiritual. And as part of that, if you're unable to navigate and, and maintain that, then there could be consequences like, you know, sleeping in the other room or, or even more, but it's only, it's not because you were, it's because I deserve, I value myself to have a healthy boundary. So, so I wanted to flip that. So, you know, you've talked, Dr. Rob, about, you know, domestic violence is never, never okay on either side. So, but other than that, it really is what, you know, if think about from those four perspectives, what do you need? That would be how you set up your boundaries. So, and there are some good resources on our site, you know, that, that talk about this, you know, as well. And there's podcasts and things, but the work group starts again, March 1st. Coming up, Angela Spearman does a great job, six-week course. All of our work groups are live facilitated. They're not just watching a video or reading a book. And they really will give you that foundation and support and peer connection uh, to guide you through the process. Well, and I hate to keep you waiting until March 1st, but I review that curriculum. There's a whole week on boundaries. There's a whole discussion about boundaries, just learning. There's a workbook, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I want to go back to some of your, to be very concrete. So a boundary with an essay would be something like, um, and I think it's what Tammy said, you know, it, for example, if you act out and you tell me, um, we're going to be okay. You know, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to be angry, whatever. But my boundary is if you don't tell me, then I may not want to be with you or you may. In other words, what is your boundary on how much time do you spend together? Um, what is your boundary around what you need in terms of, communication or honesty or so it's as Tammy said it's really about so boundaries let me just think about so we work on boundaries in treatment we actually have a whole session with partners while an addict isn't seeking integrity talking about boundaries and they are the boundaries that a partner has to set and they are things like um this is uh, you know I don't want you to come over at these times I do want you to come over those times you have to be going to this many meetings you have to be working with our therapist you have to and it isn't about this is what you have to do it's about this is what will make me feel safe and me feel comfortable now it may be you have to go do that but it isn't because I'm wanting you, you can do whatever you want but in order for me to feel safe in this relationship, I need us to have a meeting every night and talk about what's going on with us. I need us to go to couples therapy on this regular basis. I need to see you going to three meetings a week so that I can feel safe. And the metaphor I use all the time um, is always that uh, that boundaries are like, like a tent. 
You know, you're if you have a tent and there's a zipper in it, you know, uh, but and having no boundaries is the zippers on the outside and anybody can come along and say, hey, what's going on? And walk right into your tent. Boundaries are when you have the zipper on the inside and you decide under these circumstances, I will let you in. Under these circumstances, I will open this or maybe I'll close it. So it's really about what are you willing to put up with? What are you not willing to put up with? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? What will help you to feel safe? It's all those things that that work for you. Now, boundaries can be negotiated. You can say, and I, they should be. You know, you can say, I, I only want you to go to meetings twice a week because I want you home. You were never home before. And I may say, you know, I need to go to meetings three days a week. And I may have to negotiate that with you. But they are, so they can be flexible. But we're going to discuss it before we decide to change any of these boundaries. Really, they're kind of like rules. These are the rules for living with me. These are the rules for being involved with me. You can pick someone else, but if you're gonna be involved with me, these are my rules. Um, kind of like that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.